I'm sort of I'm seeing more and more people leaving Victoria for the opportunities that they can find because more and more people are sort of leaving and trying to go back home or go interstate or go further out so that there's a little bit more freedom as far as work and things like that. Today we're heading to Canberra to talk to a chef in quarantine. But Mark Glenn isn't a Canberra fellow. He was until very recently the head chef of Cumulus Inc in the city of Melbourne. Flinders Lane where Cumulus is is certainly not the Flinders Lane that Melbourne has prided itself on for so many years. A culinary hub, a place where you could stumble from restaurant to restaurant enjoying some of Melbourne's best food. The city is certainly suffering in the, yeah, it's the, it's the centre of a Melbourne that is not the Melbourne that we know and love. We hope it soon will be again. But in the meantime, Mark is exploring other pastures. Mark, how are you doing? Uh, I'm all right. How are you? Yeah, well, you know, it's a sunny day in Melbourne town. I'm still in love with the city, but I'm uh, sad for the state that it's in right now. Uh, tell us about the where you are right now in Canberra and uh, what, what you're doing there. Uh, so I am in a, an area called Barton in one of the four quarantine hotels that are available in the ACT. Um, it's also nice and bright and sunny, but I am unfortunately restricted to my balcony as my only form of outdoors. Um, I'm halfway through two weeks worth of quarantine, so. And uh, was it? What's it like? I mean, tell me about the process of leaving Melbourne and arriving in Canberra. I mean, is it is it hard to leave Melbourne? I I just can't even imagine going further than five k from home. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. The the initial process is actually pretty um, pretty laborious. It's almost like applying for a visa. Um, you have to get a, a permit to enter, and um, flights have to be confirmed through the government um, with ACT Health and all that kind of thing. Um, and then uh, once you get to the airport, you need to show the permit so that they know that you're travelling safely um, to leave Melbourne. Um, on the plane, I was one of six people. Um, wow. Yeah, which is a really weird feeling. Um, and then once I got off the plane, it sort of got a little bit, uh, a little bit relaxed in comparison. Um, I was not asked. I when I got off the plane, I approached a table where I was asked for my ID and where I came from, and I said Melbourne. And then the girl that I was speaking to said, "Okay, great. If you go through this door, your bags will be." Um, on the carousel and then if you take the first door on the left you can jump into a taxi or an uber to your accommodation <laughs> right but hang on a minute aren't you coming from melbourne like the coronavirus capital of australia <laughs> you could have been carrying yeah exactly the pandemic with you so i mean that's that seems that seems pretty loose it was um pretty surprising initially um and then i suppose it got looser as the as the process went on um I was so I I was picked up and taken to my accommodation. Um, when I got to my accommodation, um, I was told that my room wouldn't be that my room wasn't ready. Oh. which uh, under under normal circumstances is you know fair enough. You just go out and do you know go for a walk or whatever. Um, but I guess given that I'm not meant to be in contact with anyone or out anywhere, I sort of just waited in that room. Um, 
and then uh, once it was ready, I was just told that it was ready and where to go. And then I was not escorted. No one followed me. No one asked me where I was going. I walked across the road and down the street and into my accommodation. Um, there was no guards, no police, no nothing. Um, the only precaution that they take is to only activate your room card for the night that you check in. So if you leave, you can't get back in your room. Um, but in saying that, there's, you know, people on the ground floor, the wall is small enough off their balcony that they'd be able to walk to jump back and forth and all that kind of thing. Um, there's a girl who's sort of downstairs from me who every day has different friends come over and have lunch with her over the balcony, which is really nice for her, but kind of defeats the purpose of the quarantine thing. Um, yeah, so it's been, it's been really quite strange. Um, and then I suppose the, the, probably the, the weirdest part of it is, uh, after I was told that I would be contacted by ACT health for, um, you know, to check in if I've got symptoms or if I need anything or anything like that. And after about day five, um, I called them to organize a test because not because I have symptoms, but they recommend so it's your choice whether you have a test before you leave quarantine or not, um, which, again, just screams lack of enforcement kind of thing. Um, and upon calling them to find out the process for testing, um, I was told that I wasn't in this system and they didn't know that I was in quarantine. Right. And it's yeah, – sorry, it's yeah. all a bit mind-boggling <laughs> because, of course – you know, this, the hotel quarantine is such a massive story in Melbourne and Victoria. It's, um, you know, the fact that the virus escaped from hotel quarantine is why um, I've got a 5K wall around me. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty extraordinary to think that there is, uh, that it's so loose. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's pretty baffling. What's the, like, how, do they bring you food or are you left your own devices to order takeaway or how does that part of it work? Uh, so I'm allowed to have anyone enter the building and drop things off to me. They can come to my door. Um, but again, there's no enforcement or anything like that. People can just come and ring my doorbell. I let them up and then it's up to me, which, you know, as a, just as a personal responsibility to not open the front door until they've left again. Um, yeah. There's no, yeah, there's, like I said, there's no, there's no, they're just really, really relying on people doing the right thing. Um, and I think the reason that other places have gotten away with it versus what has happened in Melbourne is probably just the volume of overseas travellers that return to Melbourne um, in comparison to somewhere like Canberra, which is obviously uh, not much of an international port in that regard. Sure. Yeah. I think there's a lot of, luck and bad luck at play in this whole scenario and I think you know any any place in the world could be you know you have one super spreader that gets out amongst it and uh, things can very quickly get out of hand so good on you for not being that super spreader Mark and um, being a, yeah. <laughs> a good citizen but it's uh, yeah it's just slightly concerning that the systems are not built up around people such as yourself to ensure the safety of the whole community. 
But anyway, I know. yeah. Well, I should I should actually uh, give you the probably the, the icing on the cake of the whole uh, lack of enforcement, and that is when I asked about um, my testing on day eleven. Uh, the um, the response that I got was uh, that they can't send anyone out to the one of the four hotels to test people. Um, so I would just have to tell the hotel that I was leaving for the day. So they give me another key and then I'd have to jump in an Uber or a taxi. So <laughs> my response was pretty outraged, but I said, what if I've got, what if I had symptoms, you know, what, like, then what do I do? And the response was, yeah, we still expect you to get a taxi unless they're really severe and you need medical attention. Wow. It's, uh, I mean, uh, I hope the taxis and Uber drivers are being informed of the system that depends upon them but doesn't protect them. Yeah, and I highly doubt that they would be. It's just a matter of whether they know which hotels are quarantine hotels or not. Sure, yeah. it's Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're a frontline worker in that regard. Uh, yeah, well, it, I mean, yeah, that side of it, Mark, is um, is pretty strange and worrying but I'm glad that you are symptom free and unlikely to take um yeah the Melbourne whatever strains going around Melbourne uh up to up to Canberra and and share it out there so tell us um what has taken you to Canberra what are you up there to do uh so I have moved up here for work um like you mentioned before up until recently I've been um working at uh Cumulus Inc and that's been my my little world for the last few years, um, but for the last seven months, you know, the entire hospitality industry has been, you know, underemployed, if not unemployed for the vast majority. Um, and I guess for me, I just didn't really see anything going back to what I would call Melbourne normal for a really, really long time. Um, and I guess I sort of just got a little bit past waiting around for things to, to get better. Mm. Is that specifically because you're in the centre of town or was it a, is it a general overview of the Melbourne hospitality industry? Uh, it's a little bit of both. Um, the fact that, I mean, with the new announcements of, you know, recommending outdoor dining and that type of thing is fine for, you know, uh, out in the suburbs or the country or whatever it might be. But anywhere in a city like you know in the city or sort of inner suburbs you know people don't have outdoor space um you know there's not even with social distancing in place there's only so many people you're able to fit in a restaurant which really turn sort of makes it very very difficult to work on the model that you were working on previously um you know the melbourne vibe of like you said with uh, flinders lane um being that sort of place you can bounce from, you know, restaurant to restaurant and bar to bar and things like that. And everyone that you walk into is bustling and there's lots of people crammed in and there's lots of energy in the room. And um, that's the kind of Melbourne that I, you know, I'm talking about when I say, when I say normal, I guess. Um, and I just, I yeah, just, it seems so far away from it at the moment that, yeah, I guess uh, greener pastures was sort of my, my only, yeah, not only option, but I suppose I decided to take that option. Yeah. So C Cumulus was open for a few weeks in June. What was that like? Uh, it was a little bit strange. I must say the um, 
the different offerings that, you know, with the, the Trader House Group, so Andrew's Restaurants, um, the way that they reacted to all of the all of the issues that arose and the different um, sort of offerings that they came up with, with the bakeries and, oh, sorry, you know, Marion and um, the weekend boxes and then now Providor and all that kind of thing. It's been really, really amazing just to watch not only them but everyone else in hospitality just try and pivot and get creative about what they can, you know, what they can do. Um, I guess for us when we did reopen it was really difficult to try and um, figure out what that looked like because we could only have you know, 20 initially. And then even with social distancing, I think it was 27 was our total number that we were allowed in each of the restaurants. So um, we sort of went to a, a tasting menu only sort of scenario. Um, and that was, you know, that was functional and it sort of worked for the little time, but it was in the end, it was pretty, it was pretty short lived, unfortunately. It was short lived. And um, yeah, it's such a, it is so hard to imagine a restaurant like Humulus that's only able to operate on what, like a third of your capacity. It is so much about being there. It's definitely one of those walk-in restaurants, open breakfast, lunch and dinner. It's It, it epitomises the style of Melbourne dining that we love. I mean, it's such a leader in that kind of high quality all day dining space you know to take it take it as you will whether it's for breakfast whether it's for coffee whether it's you can use it as a bar you can you know it's just it's such a flexible place and that's one of the that's just so much part of the beauty of it to think about a restaurant like that having to be much more regimented much more boxed in it is um going to be a real challenge for the, those places to have you know the the melbourne vibe um so it's yeah it's 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 a really really tricky one to work out how to reconstruct um because melbourne is so much about how things feel it's not just about you know how things how things taste what's on the plate it is so much about about a mood and about feeling like you're part of something so i mean to me it's 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 so it's so sad that you've left it's like um you've yeah you've you've stepped out of the room because you don't reckon the room's going to be what it needs to be that's I find it a little bit a little bit heartbreaking to be honest Mark <laughs> yeah I suppose that's the um the overarching thing is had this uh whole situation have not come about then I wouldn't have had any intention of you know moving on or anything like that you know the the position that I had and the the group that I worked with was amazing you know there's um you know so many so many really, really professional operators within that. Um, and, you know, every day was always something new. And I suppose some of the other limitations, even with when we sort of went to reopen is, you know, what is, what's really achievable? I mean, you know, we can't, we couldn't really have breakfast because it's, you know, financially it's not worth opening because the staff to, to get it done relies on being able to, you know, really get people through and turn people over and things like that. And then, you know, not having any events that are a really, really big part of that business as well. Really, um, it just made it a very, very different different thing to try and operate within, you know. Mm. Yeah. Um, so for anyone who's not aware, um, Cumulus and the other restaurants that are part of the Trader House Group are owned by Andrew McConnell, who's uh, you know one of Melbourne's most prominent chefs and, and restaurateurs. What was it like telling Andrew that you were resigning and, and moving to Canberra? 
Uh, yeah, it was it was a bit strange. Um, mainly, well, I'm um, mainly because everything had to be on the phone. I guess because at that point we sort of weren't mm. in a lot of contact as physically anyway. Um, so uh, yeah, it was it was pretty strange and a little bit daunting. But he was pretty um, he was pretty responsive, and I think everyone you know that I did sort of speak to about it was really um, of two minds about it one part being sort of, you know, disappointed that, you know, I'm moving on, but at the same time understanding that, you know, the situation is what it is. And um, I guess now even after that, I'm sort of, I'm seeing more and more people leaving Victoria for the opportunities that they can find because I guess the sentiment that I have is sort of um, starting to, starting to, I'm not that I'm the first person to go anywhere, but as in, um, I guess I'm noticing now that more and more people are sort of leaving and trying to go back home or go into state or go further out so that they're a little bit, there's a little bit more freedom as far as work and things like that. Yeah. And it's, it's definitely something that many restaurateurs have, um, have spoken of. And of course, many people who are here on temporary visas, uh, who just simply have no way to support themselves and no support from the government have, um, unfortunately, uh, jumped on planes when they were able to access flights. And if indeed they were able to find the funds to buy plane tickets. So it's that sort of, um, skills drain is certainly going to be something that impacts Melbourne as it recovers. Um, just from your experience working in Melbourne restaurants, what do you think that the impact of that is going to be? Well, I'm. I suppose the the future of Melbourne dining is a very um, unsure thing at the moment, just by the places that are sort of you know places that aren't going to survive it. Um, you know, with the sort of estimations of how many restaurants in the industry are going to close um, and what the actual dining scene is going to look like as far as what we're able to do. Um, and I think, I don't know, maybe <laughs> I guess there's a little bit of a glimmer of hope that maybe the um, the amount of places that close and the people that have left might balance out so that there's still quality people around or people that really want to do it. Um, but I think the long-term effect of this is sort of, you know, people that are um, interested in this kind of career path or something within this field looking at it and thinking is you know if something else like this comes up do I want to be in an industry that's going to be so fraught with you know the first one to close the last one to open kind of mentality um so I think the long-term effect is going to be um more people leaving but also less people wanting to get into it yeah, that's a really interesting point because I think, you know, anyone who thinks about the state of the hospitality industry and, and the way the employment side of it works would say that we need more young Australians coming into the industry. We need hospitality to be valued as a as a career pathway um, so that there are, you know, talented people coming through um, at, a, at a high level of professionalism to just raise the... Um, the, the overall bar for everyone in the industry and I think yeah what you're identifying is um, a very big hurdle to that happening at least in the short term yes it's um yeah it's going to be interesting to see how it all unfurls um, Mark tell us about the job that you're going to uh, so I'm moving uh, to, it's called Pielago Estate. Um, it's a, um, 
winery with sort of a couple of different food offerings on the estate and then um, they have also got a few off-site projects. Um, probably the most notable is their smokehouse, which makes um, cured products and um, sausages and that type of um, charcuterie end of things, um, which is really, really high standard actually. I'm very pleasantly surprised as I've been working my, through, my way through the catalogue of it all. Um, and then, um, yeah, so I suppose the, and there's also a, um, a sort of function venue attached to um, the estate as well. I'm assuming you've never actually been there. I have not. I've not even been to Canberra before, believe it or not. <laughs> it's pretty It's pretty crazy the way, yeah, just like you have to re resign on the phone and, you know, I guess, like, what did you do? Did you do your interview over Zoom or something? Um, yeah, yeah. And then I sort of had to do my exit, exit interview with over Zoom and then all of my, yeah, all of my correspondence has been online. Um, it's kind of a, I guess we're kind of lucky in one regard that, I suppose during this quarantine period with the amount of technology that we've got, I haven't actually felt alone because I've got so many people to have Zoom chats with and meetings with and things like that. So I suppose that's a little bit of a silver lining. Mm. I, th I think one of the um, things that I always notice when talking to people who've who worked with Andrew McConnell and his restaurants and um, have come out to do their own things or to do other things is that, you know, the things that they've learnt and picked up along the way. What? How do you think that your past years at Cumulus and in, as part of the group have set you up to do something that's big and new and elsewhere? Oh, immensely. Um, yeah, I suppose the, I guess the amount of investment on their part um, into my professional development has definitely, you know, I've grown exponentially in the time that I've been there um, I guess when I started there I was sort of I started in Cumulus Up and I kind of just wanted to do the little wine bar that could kind of thing and um, you know you know to a really high standard and um, then you know to get to a point where just before shutdown it was kind of you know um, managing with a, a really really good team in, in hand um, sort of managing two restaurants plus two event spaces um, and then you know little offsites and things like that, but the um, just the level of um, yeah investment as far as you know um, management um, sort of courses and um, direction, um, and then even having you know some like I said earlier, just the level of professionalism from the from the sort of senior team just really sets you up to I guess put those things in place when you go somewhere else um, and really sets you up to sort of be um, mindful of a lot of things that where I suppose when you work in other restaurants that aren't, don't have as much of a focus on that kind of thing, you things go by the wayside. So it really sets you up to, I guess, have your own thing or to, to do something new. Mm. I think that's something that it's really important that Melbourne Diners value is is a group that is well-resourced enough and believes in the importance of that training and that depth uh, to really build people as, you know, career professionals, not just as bodies in a room doing tasks. Yeah. 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 But, but then, again, it may, I mean, I know that um, that 
you know, so many great people have come out of Andrew's restaurants and done their own fantastic things. But I have to say, I love it when they do them in Melbourne as well. So we get the benefit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't want to. Well, look. hopefully one day when this all rolls over, then uh, maybe I'll be back. <laughs> yeah. Are you from Melbourne originally, Mark? Uh, no, I'm actually from the UK, but I've lived in Melbourne since I was young. Oh, okay. Right. Because you used to work at Commoner, didn't you? I did actually. Yeah, because that was another restaurant that, that I really loved. Yeah, so I worked there, or oh, I can't even, I don't even want to count how many years ago that was now, <laughs> um, with Joe and Matt. And um, that was actually, that was amazing. That was a really, I suppose that was kind of my first um, real sort of, I guess, even though it was a small restaurant with a very small team, it was only um, me and two others. It was kind of my, my first sort of senior role in a reputable place. Um, and it was great. I loved cooking there. The um, you know, just with a wood fire out the back, and obviously Matt and Joe doing all the foraging, and um, you know, they would all, you know, Matt was sort of supplying us with all our fruit and veg and all that kind of thing. And it was just, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was a really, really nice experience. Yeah. Well, so the last time I spoke to Joe was only a couple of weeks ago. So Joe Corrigan, that her and Matt, and they're now fully into the foraging and supplying restaurants with mushrooms and um, taking people on seasonal mushroom gathering trips. If I'm not mistaken, she got in touch with me a couple of weeks ago to suggest that I speak to Haley Raychura, who's from Entervia Laundry, um, and she. Yeah, I, I guess they got out of, Joe and Matt got out of restaurants and um, Entervia Laundry is a tiny restaurant in a home um, and I guess it's, you know, as, as people who used to run a restaurant but now speaking to someone who could possibly run a restaurant but now has a little pop-up in her house, I don't know, I think that I suppose what I'm trying to say in a very convoluted way is that there are lots of different pathways for people to get great food experiences to people and now is a time that a lot of people are wondering if the traditional restaurant model is is the way to do that and I think there are lots of different creative minds at work and thinking about well if it's not a CBD restaurant that's buzzing and full of people then what are some of the other ways that we can create those great hospitality experiences are these the kinds of conversations that you've heard people having Absolutely, and even with some of the some of the crew down down at Cumulus, you know, we've got um, a couple of people that are um, sort of in that visa situation where um, you know they're sort of underemployed, but they've got time, um, and you know they they want to stick it out and they want to stay here, um, and you know we've got people making all sorts of pastry stuff, and um, you know it's been it's actually been really really nice to watch those sort of those people sort of uh take it by take it by the horns and you know start doing something themselves to try and um prop themselves up but at the same time you know something to support them as far as financially and then I guess it doesn't hurt when you've got all the time in the world on your hands to have a uh an activity to do so um yeah but I mean you've only got to sort of look at Instagram and see the thousands of different people doing you know whatever it might be I'm pretty sure I've seen more Basque cheesecakes in the last month than I have ever been made before um I reckon it's true <laughs> yeah so um yeah um 
Yeah, I've got a page on my website that I set up last week when we realised that lockdown was extending and it's called the Visa Holder Hustles. So if any, if there are any visa holders out there who have got side businesses that they'd like promoted, let me know. Um, or if you know of someone who's making whatever it is, a Basque cheesecake or, um, yeah, something that can other people can buy, then, yeah, please let me know so I can promote it and uh, we can help these people get through this incredibly tough period. Um, Mark, what are you looking forward to cooking when you get out? Um, I think just being able to sort of uh, – on so on the estate there's um, – it's 56 – acres and um there's uh, three full-time gardeners so i'm really looking forward to just being able to go out talk to them plan what we're going to grow and then just take stuff from the garden and just cook it as straight out of the ground kind of thing because that's um something i that's a pretty um rare opportunity to be able to do i guess yeah that sounds so exciting and i guess springtime's a great time to to roll up and start seeing what's sprouting yeah exactly well good luck getting through the final week of um of your quarantine and we definitely wish you all the best in your new job please come back to melbourne and uh, make something beautiful here. <laughs> I know Melbourne is going to get through this. It's certainly a tough road ahead, but yeah, it's fantastic to have your perspective. Thank you so much, Mark. Thanks for having me on. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is a Deep in the Weeds production. <laughs>